That we won't just take this word as a personal word, but we'll take it as a corporate word for our church, for the body of Christ, and for your kingdom. I thank you that this word is going to change the lives of those who not just hear it, but receive it into their hearts so that change can manifest in their lives. I most of all, Father, declare that over our church, that every need in their life is met according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We are winding down. Say winding down. We are winding down our series on prosperity for the promise. Say this with me. Say prosperity for the promise. And our lesson today is designed to provide us with information on the reward of significant sowing and then give us motivation from God's word to help us obey God and our hearts on next week. So when it's time for us to sow into the kingdom, we won't choke. Say choke. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, this is not a time to choke. Now, the reward of the significant sower is the title of today's lesson. So you may want to write that down on your lesson. It is the reward of a significant or of the significant sword. So I want you to get ready to change your financial life from bad to good, from good to great, and from great to always having all sufficiency in all things. So you're always in position to do good works. Praise the Lord for that. Now, last week, we discovered that it's critically important to meditate through seeing and especially saying what God's word says about our financial lives, regardless of our current financial situation. And I want you to find two verses of scripture. And as you do that, I'm going to read a testimony that I received uh, this week based on last week's lesson. I want you to find Exodus chapter 35. And then I want you to find 2 Chronicles chapter 1 verse 2. Verse 7. That was Exodus chapter 35, verse 20. And then I want you to find Second uh, Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7. And last week we talked about uh, the, how to meditate your way into financial success. And here's one of the testimonies that I received. I won't read their names. But it says, Pastor Evan, when my wife and I first moved from Milwaukee, we didn't have jobs to, to when we got here to Texas. And, but we had a little money left in the bank, savings-wise. And then the money soon became depleted, and we didn't have a job. My wife, who was working on her dissertation for her Ph.D., soon found a job, and it was making more money than she was making back in Milwaukee. Someone say, praise the Lord for increase. Amen. 
And then he goes on to say, I have two degrees, and he lists what those degrees are in. Then on top of the degrees, he has four computer certifications. What an educated family, praise the Lord. He says, I'm going to also, I'm going to school right now currently for Christian ministry, so one day I can work in youth ministry and be a youth minister. Uh, and then he goes on to say, uh, but I have, he said, I found a job, but it was paying pennies compared to what I was making in Milwaukee. He says, I've been worried and, uh, about how to pay the rent, even though my wife had uh, my back and I still feel less than a man sometimes because I felt like I wasn't contributing enough to the situation. How many know how that feels sometimes? Amen. But see, I look at it like this. If we both own a partnership, then your money is my money. <laughs> Praise the Lord. He tells the, uh, the uh, department that he works in consistently on a regular basis. I won't list the department because they may know who I'm talking about. But he goes on to say, I pay tithes or we pay tithes and offerings, and I was still not getting anywhere financially. Listen to this now. I was listening to one of your many sermons that we have of yours, and you said that you dare us to test God. Well, I did. I started paying more tithes and offerings. Now, I don't know how you pay more other than he just decided to pay what he wanted to make. See, one, I had a member who's known me for years, about a month ago, came and said, Pastor Evan, I don't know if you remember, you used to say how you would tithe what you wanted to make, and then eventually God would bring it into your life. She said, well, I've been tithing what I wanted to make, and now I'm making that exactly right now. Well, he started paying more tithes, and then he says, uh, then he said, uh, even when I didn't have it to give, I gave. I started to even meditate like you said to do. I spoke of what I wanted, and guess what? I got that job I wanted, and I am making more than I was in Milwaukee, $15,000 more. Praise God. And then he goes on to say, thank you, Pastor, and the church has become our family, and our true group is awesome. In other words, we have to learn how to meditate on the Word, and meditate is just not thinking, it's saying. Amen? Now, today, we're going to look at three areas that impact the life of a significant soul. I'm going to give you the three areas first, and then we're going to go through Scripture, and we're going to discover these three areas so that we can see them work in the lives of those in the Bible. And then I'll give you some personal examples. So the first thing that a, uh, the area of a significant uh, impact on a, on a significant soul is, first of all, their response. Say response. And then we have the responsibility, say responsibility. And then you have the reward of a significant source, say reward. Now, the response is nothing but the actions that we decide to make. And then under that, you got to ask yourself, because anytime someone's asking you to give, you have to ask yourself, who's asking me to give? Is it God? Is it a man of God? Or is it you in your own heart? And I'm going to show you three of these ways in the Bible of how God tells us to give. He may directly tell us to give. He may use a man of God or he may use your own heart to allow you to give. And then after that, you have to ask, how does he want us to give? And what is, he's asking, what is he asking us to give? And then what is being asked to give? So I want you to go to Exodus chapter 35. Exodus 35. This is going to be a real good lesson this morning. Exodus 35. I want you to look in verse 20. This example is about the children of Israel. And we're going to see here several principles in this scripture. In Exodus 35, are you there in verse 20? 
All right, it says, and the congregation of the children of Israel, they departed from the presence of Moses. Now, I want you to see that in verse 35, verse 1, it says, and Moses gathered all the children of Israel together. And then he said, and these are the words which the Lord has commanded that you should do them. So he goes through these things and he's telling them, hey, here's some things that God wants you to do. But if you look in verse 21, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up. Notice the choir didn't have to stir them up. The pastor didn't have to stir them up. Who stirred them up? Their heart stirred them up. And everyone whose spirit was willing, they brought whose offering? Come on, class. Whose offering is it? When you bring your offering next week, it's the Lord's offering. And watch what it's for. So now we're talking about the response. Their response was they were bringing it willingly. But now we're going to see the responsibility. Why are they bringing it? It says they're bringing, they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the what? Tabernacle. So they brought this offering to make sure God's house was being kept up to par. Can someone say amen to that? Now. I always like to continue reading scripture to find out what was the reward that they got. Because anytime you give to the Lord, there has to be a reward. Now, we don't see the reward directly in that chapter. But I want you to go to chapter 40. Go to chapter 40. And we're going to look in verse 33. And you're going to see the reward. Because if you continue to read, all he talks about in all these other chapters are all the different ways in which he wants them to do the the work of the Lord. I mean, he's specific in what he tells them to bring and all that stuff. And so now in chapter 40, there's a reward that comes from them obeying God. Look in verse 33. It says, and this is uh, uh, Moses talking. I love this. And he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court. So Moses finished the work. In other words, now the tabernacle was finished. Look in verse 34. Then a cloud covered the tent. Now notice the cloud did not cover the tent until the tent was complete. In other words, there's some glory that God will bring when we obey him. So it says here, the cloud went over the tent. Now watch this now. I'm going to show you the purpose of the cloud, which is going to be the reward of the people. It says, then the cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to even enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud was was therein and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Here's the reward is coming. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, watch what happened. Then the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up or if the cloud did not move, then their journey was not, watch this, was not till the day that it was taken up. And then for the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle. In other words, here's what I want you to see. And you can write this down. The reward of them giving, they ended up with direction for their life. Remember now, the cloud was there over the tabernacle that did not exist before they had given and got that tabernacle together. So after they got the tabernacle together, God says, now I'm going to give them some direction. And when you sow into the kingdom, you can expect to get direction for your life from God. Amen. That's the first benefit. Everybody say the first benefit. Now I want you to turn to 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 1. 2 Chronicles chapter Uh, chapter 1, and we're going to look in verse 7. Let me show you this one. Now, this one is awesome because there are several things that can happen to you when you sow into the kingdom. Number one, you can get direction. But number two, I'm going to show you that when you give to God 
and you do it with a willing heart, you can actually end up with some asking status from God. In other words, when you give to God, you now have or, or you're in position to be able to say, okay, God, now I've done what you've asked me to do. Now I want you to do something that I'm asking you to do. Now I know that's pretty strong, but let me show it to you in the scripture. Second Chronicle, I mean, where I tell you to go. Second Chronicles, okay, I'm in First Chronicles. Let me find Second Chronicles. Okay, Second Chronicles chapter 1, look at verse 7. And in that night did God appear to who? Solomon. Solomon. And he said to Solomon, ask what I shall what? Oh, my goodness. You know, many people tell us, man, God gave Solomon asking status. And you know what Solomon asked for? Solomon asked for some what? He asked for wisdom. But then God went ahead and said, you know what? Since you didn't ask me for money and riches, I'm going to give you that too. But here was my question as I begin to read this thing. I wanted to know, and this is what you got to do when you read the Bible. Why did God give Solomon that kind of asking status? So I just went up a verse to see what Solomon did. Because if, if Solomon did something and it triggered something in his life, then by principle, I ought to be able to do the same thing. So let's see what happened. Let's look in verse 6. And Solomon went up there. He went for the, what does that say? For the brazen altar before the Lord, which was in the tabernacle of the congregation. And let's see what he did. In other words, Solomon went to the tabernacle and he offered, come on, read it with me. A thousand burnt offerings upon man Solomon said, you know what? And this, listen, I saw, I see no record that God asked him to do it. This was something that Solomon made up in his own mind. And this is the second way that you can give. Remember that you can give because a man of God tells you, you can give because God tells you, but then there are times that you give when you purpose in your heart. And Solomon had purposed in his heart because I don't see in scripture that God told him to give a thousand uh, burnt offerings. So he, from his own heart and willingly gave a thousand burnt offerings. And because he did that, it triggered asking status for his life. And when you come next week, when you come with an offering that you didn't just make up that morning. Yeah. See, and, and, and listen, if you notice, a thousand burnt offerings were not required from him. He just decided, you know what, God, I love you enough. Now you've made me king. You fulfilled your word from my father to me. Now I'm going to give you a thousand burnt offerings. And the scripture says, God asked him, what do you want me to do? Man, I like that. And then Solomon said, you know, you've shown great mercies. And he goes through the whole thing. And then we know that God gave him much riches. If you look in verse 12, it says, wisdom and knowledge is granted unto you. And, everybody say am. Yeah. See, I, lo- I want some wisdom and some knowledge because that's going to help you maintain what you got. He says, but on top of the wisdom and knowledge, he says, I'm going to give you some riches and some wealth and some honor such as no other kings have ever had. That's good stuff right there. Now, go to Acts chapter 10. Acts 10. Because I want to show you now, we're talking about the response, the responsibility. If you notice, the response of Solomon was, you know what? I'm going to do this because it's on my heart. Now, in uh, Acts chapter 10, Acts 10, I love this one because this particular individual technically was not even saved yet. He just had a reverence for God. He had a reverence for God. In Acts chapter 10, are you there? Say, I'm there. And I'm going to start in verse 1. We're talking about now the, res- the response and the responsibility and the reward of a significant soul. In verse 
in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, There was a man named in Caesarea named Cornelius. He was a centurion of the band called the Italian band. He was a devout man. Say devout man. He was a devout man and he was one that feared God with all of his house. Watch this now. Let me show you what he did. Who gave much alms to the people and he prayed to God always. This was a man that said, you know what? I'm going to be a giver. And ain't nobody going to make me do it. It's just something I do. But I'm going to show you that when you start giving to not just God and you give to people. But see, you have to understand that the, the way the church worked in the New Testament, they brought the things to the apostles and the apostles distributed out to people. But see, he says he gave alms to the people. But then I want to see what happened because I'm telling you, anytime you give, there has to be a reaction. Well, let's see what happened. Let's now jump down to verse. Let me just read verse three. It says, and he saw a vision about the ninth hour and an angel of the Lord came to him and said unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid. And he said, what is it, Lord? And he said, watch this now. Your prayers and your giving has come up for a memorial before God. God said, I'm about to do something in your family. And the reason I'm going to do it is because your prayers and your giving has come up as a memorial before me. See, that's why when you give, you can't let go of the seed that you may have even sowed years ago. Because that seed can be the memorial that causes God to come and rescue you. Now, quickly turn over to the book of Mark. Quickly turn to Mark. Let me show you this one again because this is a good one in the New Testament. Well, there was a lady who brought an offering, a sacrificial offering to Jesus. And because of her sacrificial offering, she has, watch this, Jesus said, this lady is going to be remembered from this time on. Watch this now. Mark chapter 14. Are you there? Say, I'm there. Look in verse 3. Mark 14, look at verse 3. It says, and, and being in Bethany, he's talking about Jesus, he was in the house of Simon the leper, and he sat at me, and there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, say very precious. This was not cheap perfume. In fact, scholar says that this was at least a year's worth of wages that it took for her to buy this. Can you imagine saving up a paycheck for a whole year to give it to Jesus? Well, we can see why the, the disciples reacted the way they did. Look in verse uh, 4. And there, and there were some... Well, well let me see what, what she did. She had various precious ornaments. She broke the box and she poured it on his head. And then there were some... Everybody say some. Oh, you're going to always have people that criticize people who talk about stuff like this. Why you give that stuff to your church? Why you give that church that money, your preacher? See, what you need to do. Remember now, my wife, I was reading some, some tweets that she did uh, doing her tweet. And one of them was, never argue with a fool. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I hope you ain't a fool. Because I ain't arguing with you if you are. Some of them had indignation within themselves and they said, why has this ornament been wasted? You mean to tell me Jesus, my savior, is not worth enough for, to, for me to give him something that was expensive to me? They looked at it and said, man, this is a waste. Why did you do that? Watch what Jesus said. They said, for it might have been sold for more than 300 pence. 
And watch this. And have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And watch what Jesus said. Jesus said, let her alone. Why are you troubling her? She has done a good work on me. Watch what else he goes on to say. See, and what you have to understand is when you do something for the kingdom, you're doing it for the body of Christ. Well, who's the head of the body? Jesus is the head of the body. And so he goes on to say, she has done what she could. And that's what God wants from us. You can't do what you can't, but you can what you could. I know that was all ghetto. (laughs) But you got old, didn't you? (laughs) He says, she has done what she could. Watch this. She came to anoint my body to be buried. Verily I say unto you. Watch this reward now. Whosoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, it will be done. It shall be spoken as a memorial unto her. When you learn to give your best to God, it can come up as a memorial for you. You know why sometimes it seems like God don't rescue people during difficult times? Because they ain't gave him nothing to remember them by. Oh, that was deep right there, ain't it? And I know some of y'all are saying, I don't know about that, Pastor. Well, listen. I'd rather do it and see it than to not do it and don't see it. Praise the Lord. All right, all right. It's all good. I got six minutes before I get up out of here. Okay, all right, here we go. Now turn to 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9. Let me show you another New Testament principle on purposing in our heart. Because see what happens sometimes. Many people, uh, they wait on God to tell them something to give. And that's fine. But if God don't tell you nothing, what you going to do? What God expects us to do is look at our resources and see what we're willing to sacrifice. And this coming, this coming Sunday should be the biggest offering and best offering that you, you will do this year. Do you know that the children of Israel had to do this three times a year in the Old Testament? They came three times. And the scripture says when they came, he expected nobody to come empty-handed. I thought that was interesting. But then he, here it is. One time a year, we're saying, make that sacrifice. So God expects us to look at what we have and then go, you know what? I tell you what, keep your hand here in 2 Corinthians. Let's go over to 1 Chronicles very quickly. Go to, keep your hand over there in 2 Corinthians 9. And I want you to go to 1 Chronicles and then we'll close with this. 1 Chronicles, let me show you or describe to you what God expects us to do next week. 1 Chronicles, look in verse 29. 1 Chronicles 29. And look in verse 1. It says, furthermore, the King David said unto all the congregation, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is yet young and tender, and the work is great, for the palace is not for man, but the palace, the temple, the the sanctuary, it's for who? It's for the Lord God. Now watch what David says. Now, I have prepared, say prepared. He says, I have prepared with all of my what? Might for who? The house of God. Watch what he says I prepared. He says gold for the things that needs to be made out of gold. And silver for the things that's made out of silver. And brass for the things that are made out of brass. And he goes on to say all the things. Watch this now in verse 3. He says moreover because I have set my affection to the house of God. Let me tell you something. Society don't want you to do that. They want you to feel bad about what you do. They want you to stop doing what is right. Why? Because they, see, God already knows what's going to happen. They don't know. He says, moreover, I have set my affections to the house of my God. I have of my own proper good. He said, this is my stuff. 
He says, I have for my own proper good gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God. Watch this now. Here's the key. He says, I have given that is over and above all that I have prepared. He said, this ain't my normal tithe. This ain't even my normal offering. He said, this is something that's over and above that. See, if we just don't give offering next week, all we did was just subtract it from our weekly budget. God is waiting for us to do something. And I can say this to you prophetically because let me tell you something. I remember last year, everybody say last year. Last year, our lease was running up on our car. And I wanted to turn the lease in early because I wanted to make sure we didn't go over the miles. Well, uh, by the time, well, once my wife did research and figured out what car she wanted, well, the Escalade 2011s, they were out, but there were no special incentives for them. In other words, because, see, they wanted to get rid of all the 2010s, and if they did incentives on the 2011s, nobody would buy the 2010s that were left. So there were no incentives on the 2011s. And so uh, we went to the dealership, and he told me that, and he said, hey, there are no special incentives for this. And I said, okay, I need to make a phone call. So we sold a seed for, for favor, and we expect favor when we sold. So I made a phone call to a friend of mine. And this guy had been working for GM for years. I'm talking about for some years. And uh, he said, oh, he said, he said, wow, there are no incentives. Because he works among the dealerships and that kind of thing. And so he said, let me, make, let me send an email and make a phone call. So he had a friend that works for like the vice president of like one of the regions. Made that phone call. And next thing you know, he calls me back and said, go back to the dealership and tell them to look in the system now. There is an incentive program for the 2011 Cadillac Escalade. So I got back. I got on the phone with the guy. I said, hey, you need to look back up in the system. He says, for what? I said, because it's changed. He looked it up in the system and it was changed. And this was his words were, how did you do that? Listen, God changed and watch this, made available all of the new things for 2011, including the lease program to everybody in America just because Evan Connor wanted it. Praise the Lord. <laughs> That's good stuff right there. You say, well, Pastor, I don't believe that. Well, you don't have to. I'm driving the Escalade, not you. <laughs> Technically, I'm not driving it. It ain't mine. Okay. Now, go to 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9, real quick. I'm stopping right here. 2 Corinthians 9. Go to 2 Corinthians 9. Let me show you here how you purpose in your heart when you give. Because, see, you got to learn how to give cheerfully. See, this is how you give cheerfully. You give cheerfully with what I call a, a fast-forward mentality. See, if you give with a rewind mentality, you may not give cheerfully. But you got to learn to give with a fast-forward mentality. You say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? You have to, when you, when you give, before you give it, you need to fast-forward your mind to what God's Word says that's going to happen to you. And based on 2 Corinthians 9, look in verse 6. Now, the whole chapter in verse Starting from verse 1, is talking about giving. So in verse 6, he jumps in and he says, listen, but this I say to Word of Truth Family Church, he who gives or sows sparingly, that's how they're going to reap it. But he who sows bountifully, that's the way they're going to reap that too. Do you see that God has us in control of what our harvest ought to be? Then he goes on to say in verse 7, every man according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly. Or out of necessity, for God loves a what kind of giver? Let me show you how you fast forward with your mind so you can be a cheerful giver. Because when you understand after you give, this is what's going to happen. And God is able to make all favor abound toward you. 
that you always having all sufficiency in all things. You may abound to every good work. And then if you go on to see in verse 10, after I give God some seed and he gives me the favor, he says, now I'm going to turn around and give some more seed to the sower. In other words, when I purpose in my heart, favor can show up in my life. Endless supply can show up. Notice he says all sufficiency in how many things? All, yeah, right. And then he says, that, which means now all of my need is met. And then I love this. Then there is a resupply of seed. See, I don't know about you, but I put a demand on my faith for a return on what I give. Now, see, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it clarifies it real good. There is a, there's so many people. I had a, uh, someone came to my office to, to get some direction. Uh, it was a couple. And uh, she had been unemployed for like uh, five months. But before they, put her on, they laid her off, they gave her five months of severance. Can you imagine having five months of paycheck before they let you off? Then they gave her five. She had only been on that job for a year. Man, gave her five months of severance, but she couldn't find a job, save her life. Very educated, very experienced. Well, her and her husband came to talk about some other stuff, and that was one of the things. And so she had an interview that next day, that Friday. This was a Thursday. And she talked to me about it and everything. And, and so before she, got, before she finished the conversation, she took a check out. She said, Pastor, this check is for my job. I said, well, you don't have to sell. She said, no, no, this is for my job. And while she was saying that, I just saw that, that they were going to offer her a position when she went there. I said, listen, don't negotiate the deal before you meet with them. They may not offer you the money you want, but don't negotiate with them until they see you and meet you because they don't know if you're worth what you negotiate. So they went in and she went in there and they loved her. By the time she got home, they had offered her the job. Well, they called her and offered her the job. She said, well, that's kind of far. It's way out there. I don't think I'm going to take that job. So they went up five grand. She said, oh, no, that's still not enough. She, said, no, she didn't listen to what I told her now. She said, oh, no, that's not enough either. I don't think that's going to work for me. And then they raised it up some more. And she said, that ain't enough. Long story short, she ended up with 12000 extra dollars just from negotiating after the fact because she was able to, to put a demand on what she sold into the man of God's life. Oh, my gosh. Now, what am I saying? I'm saying you got to learn how to make your giving work for you. Don't just throw your offering in the offering plate like, oh, God, you know, this is church. And so are we supposed to do that? Don't do that. You don't want to throw your seed. You want to sow your seed. And next week, I want you to pray. I'm getting testimonies from people who didn't have the money. And in two days, God brought it. See, some of y'all, there's still some unexpected monies that's out there. God's waiting on you to get your faith to get it. Now, how do you activate your faith? Begin to declare it. Father, I thank you that money is coming from the north, the south, and east, and the west coming into my life so I can sow into your kingdom. Praise the Lord. Father, right now in Jesus' name, we thank you for the word that has fallen on good ground. It's fallen on hearts that were receptive. Most of all, Father, we thank you for being a supply. You said you will supply the need. So, Father, and you said you will minister seed to the soil. Everyone here whose heart is saying that, Lord, I need some seed to sow. Lord, don't let them down. 
Bring the money into their path. Give it to them. Bring it into their life. Let it come from directions they didn't even know of. Let those who were working on jobs years ago and all of a sudden that money comes that they didn't even know that was there. Let those extra paychecks that they didn't even see was coming that's going to come. Let those bonuses be released that they didn't even know they were going to get. Let that promotion, Father, just surface because they didn't even know. But because they purposed in their heart, you're going to put it in their hands. This is what the Lord is saying. He says, if you're a purpose in your heart, he'll put it in your hand. Hallelujah. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you may be here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior.